Here's Reinman in the Morning, on demand from 1021 and 105.3, The Shark. This is very exciting. My guest here, you know, is a longtime host of Dancing with the Stars, America's Funniest Home Videos, and, of course, Hollywood Squares. But to me, he'll always be the host of People Are Talking. Would you please welcome <laughs> to Reinman in the Morning, the great Tom Bergeron. Mr. Bergeron, how's it going? Well, first of all, just call me Tom. And secondly, because of the sag after strike, I can't talk about any of those wonderful shows that you just mentioned. Okay. Well, in that case, this has been Tom Bergeron. Uh, thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> Things are tricky nowadays. Back to the music. Uh, we'll just play We Built yeah, the City All Day Long. Um, well, you're back here in Portsmouth. You can talk about this. Uh, thanks yes. so much for coming back. You're hosting your wonderful events tonight, right, in Portsmouth? Yeah, it is. Uh, I'm really looking forward just to seeing how they pull this off. Uh, apart from me hosting it, there are 900 people who are going to be eating outside. They're closing down all traffic for five blocks uh, from Market Square uh, down and setting up tables for 900 people to eat under the stars to help celebrate the 400th anniversary of Portsmouth. 900 people. That's amazing. Yeah, it, it definitely is. But I could just picture like the classic New Englander scene. They'd be like, huh, couldn't get a thousand, I guess. Well, all right. Yeah, there yeah, you go. Uh... Ran out of street. Just ran out of street. Well, I, I'm so great to have you back. What are some of your favorite places to visit here when you're back on the seacoast? Well, my my go-to place is always uh, the ferry landing. There you go. You know, uh, on Surrey Street. And, and I've been going there since I did radio. At, uh, at another radio station in Portsmouth yep. uh, back in the 80s. And, uh, yeah, so so I'm, I'm sort of a veteran of that place. But, you know, they're like the Bratskeller, which is sort of uh, right across the street diagonally from where the radio studio used to be. Sure. I remember actually one night, because I was on from 7 to midnight, I remember one night just being really hungry. And there, was a, and there still is a McDonald's right across the street from where the studio was. Yeah. So I put on a Steely Dan album. <laughs> I was the only one in the radio station. Uh, I got in my car, turned on the radio station, hoping the record didn't skip, and went to the drive-thru at McDonald's. <laughs> just left mid-show, huh? I just, yeah, well, you know, you gotta do what you gotta do. Yeah, when McDonald's calls, uh, you gotta go. Well, That's you know, right. As I mentioned this, though, I mean, we, we everyone knows Tom Bergeron now, but when I first saw you when I was a kid... You were on WBZ-TV. You hosted one of my favorite shows of all time, People Are Talking. And yeah. this was a daytime talk show. And I read somewhere there was a, kind of an interesting nickname for the show, kind of it rhymed. Oh, you... yeah, there was. Now, that nickname, I should say, predated me hosting it. Okay. It was when uh, a woman named Nancy Merrill mm -hmm. was the host. And they tended to do more tabloidy, provocative things. We occasionally did, too, during my six years, but, but it was a staple back when Nancy did it. So the nickname of the show in the building was Nuts and Sluts. Not, nuts and Sluts. You know, I think that's at the strip mall down in Seabrook. That's a store it there. Probably, you can, it probably I, is. I, I have a gift card to Nuts and Sluts. I'll be, I'll be going there later on. You did some amazing stuff on this show, and of course you had some serious guests, but you also got some amazing celebrities, some big people that came to Boston and talked to you. Sure. Uh, who are some of your, your favorite, most notable guests that you look back on interviewing? Oh, um, in, the, in the sort of annals of old Hollywood, uh, there was uh, Mickey Rooney, uh, there was Ginger Rogers. 
uh, Michael Caine, um, uh, Steve Allen, who was the original host of The Tonight Show. Sure. Uh, the, the Monkees. Yeah. Uh, three of them. They, they, they insisted on coming in separate cars. Oh, really? Talking to each other. Uh, we had uh, the only one who wasn't with us was Michael Nesmith. Right. Um, and, uh, of course, new kids on the block being local. They were on quite a bit. Uh, Mark Wahlberg. Uh, their, their mom was on a couple times with us as well. I remember that. So, yeah. yeah uh, President uh, Jimmy Carter was with me twice. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. As a matter of fact, a clip of me uh, and Jimmy Carter together was one of the reasons I got hired to do a show in New York. Really? Uh, a show called Breakfast Time on FX when yeah. FX first launched. Yeah. What was the clip? What happened between you and Jimmy Carter? Well, I, you know, there had been a poll that came out that said that if more Americans viewed uh, Carter more favorably than the man who beat him, Ronald Reagan, yep. in their post-presidencies. Oh. Uh, and I said, there's got to be a part of you that just goes, yeah. <laughs> and I thought he would be very diplomatic, and he just smiled with this twinkle in his eye, and he went, yeah. <laughs> you and got him to turn clip, heel. That's great. Exactly. That clip, uh, I was told later, was what they, they, they used to say, okay, we think we could get this guy. Now, I'll flip it on you. Was there anyone you had on the show that you were like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe we got them, and they were just a total nightmare? Just could not have been a worse guest. Um, yeah, Anita Bryant was one. Mm. Uh, Mickey Rooney was difficult. Mickey Rooney, I I had to actually, uh, he was taking issue with his own memoir. So I had to read passages that he was disputing (laughs) from his own book. I will say um, a a 25-year friendship started on People Are Talking with Carl Reiner, who created the Dick Van Dyke show. That's so wonderful. And, of course, uh, we sadly lost him a couple years ago. Yeah, that's right. That's great. Did you ever go to any of the dinners at his house, like with Mel Brooks, like when he used to have people over? I I went to – I would have – Carl and I would go out for lunch a lot. Um, There was one night I went to a local club where his late wife, Estelle, Estelle would perform. She'd play a ukulele and sing, and Carl was her roadie. He'd set up all her equipment. Oh, that's great. So I got there, and he said, I want you to sit with these two people. And it was Mel Brooks and Ann Bancroft. Oh. So I got to spend the night listening to Carl's wife play the ukulele with Mel Brooks and Ann Bancroft and Carl. So that didn't suck. (laughs) I guess not. And also what didn't suck is... Before you do, people are talking, you get down to WBZ, and my gosh, at that time, WBZ Radio, just a murderer's row of legends. Yeah, can, yeah, can you walk yeah. us through? I don't want to forget anyone. Can you walk us through everyone? I know Dave Maynard. That's the one that comes yeah, to mind. Well, of course, Dave Maynard uh, was the, the morning guy after Carl DeSue's, and uh, the, the, the person that I became dear friends with was Larry Glick. And, That's right. And... Uh, for the two years that I was actually the host of the Massachusetts lottery, I would uh, get the lottery number, not the lottery number, I think the megabucks number on Wednesdays. Then I'd go over to the radio studio and hang out with Larry until his show got off the air, until he got off at midnight. And then uh, subsequently, when he'd be on vacation, I'd fill in for him. And that was the most fun. Even though I did the morning show at BZ Radio for a, a short time, the most fun I ever had on BZ Radio was either hanging out with Larry or filling in for him when he was on vacation. 
What made it so fun? What was your favorite part of it? The callers? It was exact, yeah, well, yeah, because it was exactly the kind of show that I kind of gravitated towards, and it, it kind of had echoes of what I did in Portsmouth for the three years I did the night show uh, at HPB. You know, it was just fun. There was, it wasn't issues. It wasn't politics. It wasn't people screaming at each other. Yep. It was all meant to entertain you and kind of put you in a good state of mind when you went to bed. You brought up Portsmouth, too. In doing this show, one of my absolute favorite things has been the regular callers. Uh, Patrick yep. from Newmarket, yep. Johnny C. from Exeter. Do you have any exactly. regulars you remember from your days here on the Seacoast, people that would call yeah, and make you laugh? It, it was somebody that I would call. Um, it was a woman that I, because I would call all over the world if a story just struck me funny. I would, you know, follow up on it. And there was this uh, story in Australia. I forget what the story was, but the person that I uh, got into contact with was this woman, Beverly Foreman, and she worked at a winery in Melbourne. And I liked her so much that she became a semi-regular on the show, and I would do what I called a down-under update. <laughs> and uh, I'd call Beverly just at random. And like one time I said to her, I understand that south of the equator... When you flush the toilet, it goes down counterclockwise. And so she, she said she didn't really realize that. So she brought, brought the phone into the bathroom, flushed the toilet, and just kind of went, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> there was another one. There was a, a bar in the Yukon that served a drink called the Sour Toe Cocktail. It was a martini glass, and in it, was it a, the big toe, uh, the dismembered toe uh, of a miner who had lost it uh, to frostbite Ugh. in the Yukon? Mm -hmm. And and I had people drinking that on the air, and then I called back a few months later to have them do it again, and they apologized <laughs> because somebody had accidentally swallowed the toe. <laughs> Wow. So so to anyone who may have accidentally, you know, drank the worm when you're having tequila, not the worst. It, it could actually get not worse. The worst. Yeah, you don't want to have the toe. Yeah. No. Um, no. Those are hard to pass. Hard to pass. <laughs> Boy, I got my butt kicked. No, really. I totally did. <laughs> yeah, really. From um, the inside. You know, speaking of interesting people you've talked to, I I found this and this is unbelievable. It seems almost like unreal to me. When you were starting out, is it true you interviewed Mo Howard and Larry Fine from the Three Stooges? Yeah, yeah, You're the first actually. person I've ever talked to that talked to the Three Stooges. How did that come to be? Like, how did you get in well, touch will, with those guys? I will tell you, uh, first of all, you can go to my website, the cleverly titled TomBergeron.com, mm -hmm. and uh, I've got the entire 90-minute special that I did with Howard Stern once I found those tapes, and I'll go back and tell you how that happened. I was 16 years old. My parents were, I was at my childhood home in Haverhill, Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. I think it was a Saturday night. Parents are somewhere. My sister's at a sleepover. I'm alone. I have no life. So I'm thinking, what should I do on a Saturday night? I know. I'll call information in California and see if I can get a number for Larry Fine or Mo Howard. Because I knew they were still alive. Yeah. Called information. The operator said, I've got a couple of M. Howards, but I, ha I do have one Larry Fine. So I took that number. I called, my heart beating like a jackhammer. This woman answered, said, oh, no, 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 
that. Yes, my son is named Larry Fine, but it's not that Larry Fine. But we get these calls every so often. I happen to know where he is. He's at the Motion Picture Television Home in Woodland Hills. Here's the number. Oh. So I called. Switchboard operator comes on, says, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll get him. Comes back a couple minutes later, says, could you call back in half an hour? Larry's playing poker, and he's got a good hand. <laughs> so I did, and Larry came to the phone. Now, he he was at the motion picture country home recuperating from a stroke. Yeah. So his voice was a little bit uh, affected by that, but he was still very clearly him, as yeah. you'll be able to hear if you listen to the special. And about five or ten minutes into the conversation, he just said, you want Moe's number? <laughs> and he gave me Moe's home telephone number. No. So I called. Now, here I am. I've got a cassette tape recorder, 16 years old. My head's about to explode. Yeah. I, I call, Mo, <laughs> call Mo's house. His wife answers. She says, I'll get him. Now, Mo, as I've often said, sounded just like he was still in making movies. He yeah. Just, the, the voice was exactly the same. Sure. And he, he was not thrilled to be called at home by some random fan. So he said, <laughs> he said, who gave you this number? Yeah. And I hesitantly said, Larry did. And I, as I remember, there was a pause, and he just, under his breath, just went, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> like, lame brain or knucklehead. Knucklehead. But yeah. in the in the... About 18 months that followed, I talked to each of them about a half a dozen times. That's amazing. And Yeah, and it was really lovely. And so when I did Stern Show back, I think, in 2009, I was promoting a book I wrote. And Howard, who is also a Three Stooges fan, implored me to look for the tapes. So I found two of them, and we incorporated, incorporated them into that 90-minute uh, special. So... One of the most surreal moments I've ever had in my career. It's on the West Coast, I was driving down Laurel Canyon to go to go to a production meeting for one of the shows that I can't promote because of the sag after mm-hmm. fight. And I was listening to them play the special. So at that point, what was it, like 60-year-old Tom was listening to 16-year-old Tom interview Mo Howard while I drove to work. That was, uh, that was, pretty, that was pretty wild. That's amazing. I mean, the Three Stooges, it's like meeting Santa Claus. Like, that's just there so, you go. That's yep. so unbelievable. Yep. One of the things you've credited uh, for your, you have this, this positive outlook, this, this wonderful attitude. Everyone loves Tom Bergeron, but you've, you've said that transcendental meditation has been something yeah. that's very important for yeah. you. Now, that's something that could probably help a lot of people these days, but what's the best way to get started if you're trying to do that? Yeah, and it, the book I alluded to really was uh, I used sort of career anecdotes as a way to to kind of pull you into what is really a book about meditation and about the building that mental muscle so that you stay in the present moment. For example, hosting live television, as I've often done, you want to be right there. You don't want to be worried about something that might happen in the future or obsessing about something that happened in the past, one of the things that I find people who start or attempt to start meditating, they, they kind of undercut their own progress by thinking, oh, you know, I tried to, I tried to sit down and I tried to not think of anything, and I, I, it, thoughts kept coming in. And I tell them, look, I've been doing it for over 40 years. Thoughts always come in. The key is not to be judgmental. 
is just acknowledge it. When it, you know, whatever. Now I have a mantra that I was given. It could be a word that means something to you. It could be a spot on the wall that you're focused on, um, or or you could have uh, you know uh, white noise or the sound of nature, whatever. But at the moment you are aware that your thoughts are drifting. Don't beat yourself up. Don't be judgmental. Just go back to whatever your focal point is. It's very similar to working out at a gym. You know, with mm-hmm. repetition, you build stamina, you build physical muscle strength, whatever. Uh, you're building mental strength in the practice of repeated meditation. And it, it, it doesn't, uh, there's no religious aspect to it. You can certainly, if you are religious, you can incorporate that into your your practice, but it's a it's a very um, sort of a, a very easy thing for anybody to to start. And as long as you don't beat yourself up, you can get better at it. Good advice for anything, I'd say. Yeah. One more thing, I want to ask you about this. Sure. And uh, Dancing with the Stars, you did it for so many seasons. Wonderful job. But then uh, you parted ways with the show, correct? That happened a couple years ago. Yeah, aka they fired me. Well, that's just crazy. Why would they fire Tom Bergeron? What's going on over there at ABC? Huh? Here's the thing. Here's the thing. When the strike is settled, I'll tell you everything about it. Okay. Sounds good. But let me just (laughs) let me just ask you this. Say that comes back and the show tanks. In the spirit of Jimmy Carter, uh, what would your reaction be? No, I look, uh, I will say this much. There are people there, including um, the the two hosts who will be fronting the next season who I'm very fond of. And I had a great run. I, I, I mean, I was, I was hosting two network shows simultaneously for 15 years. Right. So you're not going to hear me bitch. And, and, and also, um, you know, there are a lot of people beyond just on-camera people that I'm very close to, and I want them to succeed and have long careers. So, so uh, look, I've, I've had a great run. I, 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 I had one issue with uh, a couple of people, that uh, went a bit south, but you know that's the nature of the business. But you know what, the run's not stopping anytime soon. It's going to keep going. Well, and, uh, I'm going is... to be on TV on a whole street tonight. That's right, whole street in <laughs> Portsmouth with 900 people, just that's 900. Right. Um, yeah, well, you know, they, Nielsen ratings—they they do samples with fewer people than that. Sure, absolutely. This has been so much fun, and uh, thank you so much. It's been such an honor talking to you. And say hi to Rich Blaylock if you see him, okay? I sure will. I sure will. Okay. All the best. For all things Tom Bergeron, visit TomBergeron.com. All right, I'm here with my friend Rich Blaylock. I grabbed him off the baseball field at the Dover-Portsmouth 400 game. How's it going, Rich? Good. How are you, John? Good. We know each other from playing AAU basketball together. We go way back. We go way back. Shout out to uh, Coach DeGraff. Okay, I grabbed you right here. You tell me your side of the Portsmouth whale wall. What happened? Where'd it go? Why didn't I mean, Wyland, he came, he did a great mural. You know, we had a beautiful mural. Everyone loved it. Yeah. Uh, then he forgot to put on the final coat that would protect it. Um, he forgot. He forgot. And then he sent it back to Portsmouth for city staff to apply it. I think some weather and some other elements may have been a factor, uh, but it was not applied correctly. And if a lot of people remember, it got very cloudy. Yes. It was, and it was kind of like what happened murky. to our mural, yeah. Yeah. It looked, like sudden, a, it looked uh, like a, less like the ocean, more like the Charles River. Yeah, and it was, yeah. you know, it was like, what is this, global warming? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, um, climate change on a picture. Yeah, that was sure. hard to explain. Yeah. Um, and then they had an artist retouch the painting. Uh, I think Wyland came and retouched some of the whales. Yep. 
and but it wasn't quite to the extent the original project was and then unfortunately after that it got defaced uh, what, how did it get defaced well, people come in draw a couple octopuses what happened I think they added a couple parts to the whale that weren't included in the original got it got it um, yeah. made some uh, some more changes anatomy. to the anatomy yes, of the whale yes um, more scientific view of it unfortunately and then that building came to be replaced and the, the mural was deemed screwed up here and there and you know it wasn't really worth something we were going to save for this anatomy project that ended up being in the end would you put it would you put a new mural somewhere else commercial alley or somewhere in any of the brick buildings downtown really it's um i still look at them all as like a canvas yeah you know um and i think all the ones that have been done around town have all added added value to town and um you know nice things to look at if you want to weigh in on where we should put a new whale wall in portsmouth they're actually looking for your ideas and suggestions go to the shark app search portsmouth cultural plan fill out the survey with your ideas you can win prizes check it out megan's back joining me and we have some other guests in the studio as well I'm joined by Erin McMahon, Belmont, New Hampshire, and uh, her two friends, Woof and Lemon. They are pugs, and Woof is famous because Woof has hiked all 48 4,000-foot mountains in the state of New Hampshire. Erin, welcome to Reinman in the Morning. Hi, thank you. All right. Now, i got to ask the obvious question. We have Woof and we have Lemon. Why isn't, what, what's Lemon's deal? Why isn't Lemon going on these hikes? Um, Lemon does go on the hikes with us, but she's only three, so she, oh, okay. ju- she just hasn't done them all yet. Okay, I got it. I didn't know if she was like an at-home cardio dog. Oh, no, no. Or something like she, that. She, I think, likes hiking more than Wolf, so she's there. Really? Yeah, she's done 36 of them. She's done 36? Oh, yeah. she's close. We yeah. didn't know that. Yeah. So you have two pugs, and they've hiked, wow, and, and Lemon's going to catch up. Oh, so, yeah. Yep. Now, when these pugs, they're both kind of walking around the studio here, so they're just exploring the studio space. I'm so happy right now. <laughs> Ma- Megan, like, this is her dream come true. Like, how did this start out? Did Were you walking the dogs and you just noticed, like, they, they like to, like, climb up stuff? Or did you just say, like, let's go for it. Let's see how they do on a hike one day. Pretty much. So we've had Wolf, me and my husband have a, had Wolf a lot longer. Yes. Um, and we actually took him from a family who said he was too hyper and they couldn't have him anymore. Oh. Um, uh. So I was expecting like this really hyper dog that needed to be walked all the time. Yes. Um, it turns out he was in a kennel most of the day with them. So as soon as we let him out of the kennel for the day, he was like a total couch potato. We still kept up with the walks. We went walking every day and then it turned into trails and then mountains. Are people surprised when they see a pug at the top of a mountain? Do they just assume that you carried the pug and you have to say, nah, man, he did the work? Yeah, always. They're always very surprised. And it's always, how did you how did you carry them both up here? And I'm like, what do you mean? And they're like, well, where do you put them when you carry them? I'm like, I do not carry these dogs. Like, that's an extra 50 pounds. I'm not doing that for fun. No. <laughs> <laughs> Say people want to take their dog for a hike yeah. on one of the mountains. What kind of stuff do you bring along to make sure the dog's healthy, everything's taken care of, hmm. uh, and all that stuff? So it really depends on the season. Um, you know, in the summer, I'm super worried about how much water or is there access to water. Um, I let them drink out of streams, so that's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, they can cool down there. If there's not going to be any water, do I have enough? Can I carry enough? Can I refill out a hut at the top? Um, you know, and then in the winter, it's the complete opposite. Are they going to be warm enough? You know, is the weather going to change? Is it going to be windy? So you're doing this in the wintertime, too? Oh, yeah. Jeez. All year. Yeah. That's incredible. Yep. Now, do you ever see any bigger dogs that just kind of go, I'm just going to turn back around and, like, and let me ask you a follow-up. Do the dogs look embarrassed? Do they look shameful <laughs> that they can't out hike a pug? Um, we've seen a lot of dogs, no other pugs, and rarely actually anything very small, not smaller than them, definitely. 
Um, but I've never seen a dog turn around, I don't think. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've, I've heard people have told me stories. They'd be like, oh, we just, you know, we saw Golden that had to be carried down. But Aww. I've never seen it personally. Oh. It was like an anxiety thing. Well, I heard that Golden was also a smoker. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, now, Megan, you're a cat person. Do you have any? Do you, do you think cats could successfully hike a mountain? What's your opinion on that? A one? cat probably has climbed a mountain somewhere. Yeah, I, I, Aaron, I, I, Aaron's there, nodding. There is really? a cat. Yeah, I think its name is Floki. Shout out to Floki. I've never met the cat. My dogs don't love cats. Sorry, um, <laughs> but I think there is a cat that has walked, carried up the mountain here in New Hampshire. Yeah. Oh, we got to do some research after yeah. this. We got to get everyone together. We got to do like one of those Bravo Real Housewives. The dogs agree. <laughs> one of those Real Housewives reunions. Where and we get I the, think also a bunny has done it. I did hear about the bunny. I'm pretty sure the bunny itself climbs up the mountain. I think the bunny got carried. I don't. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's say, like I'm not sure if cheating. it hopped or carried, but we have lemon. We have woof. Is now, but that's lemon woofing, right? Yes. Yeah. So woof what, has been silent the whole time. So again, to sum up, <laughs> woof has been silent. Lemon's been woofing. Yes. Welcome back to Abbott and Costello. Do we want some love? Yeah, let's bring Lemon up. Let's yeah. get him. Let's get him on the mics. Let's hear what they have to say. I was gonna say she just snorts a lot. So, what do you think the easiest mountain is? Like, say someone's starting out, and they want to take their dog. What's yeah, a good? Yeah, I kind of like to know this. Yeah. yeah. So I actually started with really easy ones when we started bringing Lemon, and we did like Mount Wombeck, um, Mount Hale is pretty easy, um, Mount Tecumseh is fairly easy. Um, you know, it's short distance, but it's a lot of like steps and what has been the most challenging mountain was there ever one that you said i don't know if we're going to get to the top of this one um yeah i did i did mount wildcat one of the wildcats i forget which one and i must have done like 500 shoulder presses just lifting them up onto the next rock Uh. climbing myself up lifting one up lifting another climbing myself up i was exhausted yeah so there's been a couple like that that are just like really big boulders and you're just that's an interesting workout, though. Yeah. You've yeah. created a, you should call Arnold and have him, because he does that inspirational <laughs> newsletter. I heard from my friend Erin, she does the pug workout. She yeah. puts them up on the rocks. What advice might you have for people that are thinking about getting a pug? Who's a, who's a good fit? And uh, walk them through, through the first couple months, maybe. Yeah, so um, when we got Wolf, he was a year and a half, and we expected him to be super hyper, but he's actually kind of a big couch potato Mm -hmm. he really like (laughs) livens up out on the trails but i don't think that's all pugs um so they are super lap dogs they love to cuddle they follow me around endlessly like um even in the house if you get up and go to the bathroom they're coming with you oh yeah um they're your little shadows right so i guess you could be as active as you want to be or you can be as couch potatoey as you want to be and a pug could be the dog for you i just have to be super careful with them hiking you know like the weather and in supplies. So, you know, I hope if you got a pug and that's what you want to do with them, you're considerate of that. But, yeah. you know, I'm not out there if it's 80 or more. You know, I'm not out there if it's under 30 degrees. Not with them, at least. If you hike with them in colder temperatures, do they have little coats or little booties that they wear? Yeah, they do. Yeah. <laughs> so cute. They don't wear boots because they do that like weird dog thing where they can't put all their feet on the ground. Oh, that's um, funny. But they do have coats. Yeah. If you want to read all about Aaron. And woof, and eventually, Lemon. Lemon's going to make it. Visit the Shark app. Aaron, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you. And uh, woof, thank you for staying quiet. And Lemon, thank you for woofing. (laughs)